0: Welcome to the PKN Podcast, where we give you the wrap on all things packaging. Welcome to the PKN Packaging News Podcast. My name's Grant McCarran, and as ever, I'm joined by Lindy Hewson, Managing Editor and Publisher of PKN Packaging News and the host of this show. G'day, Lindy. I believe we've got a lot to unpack today.
1: Yes, Grant, it's time for the March News Wrap. So welcome, everybody, to the PKN Podcast. This is now our new regular monthly podcast that covers the top news stories shaping change in Australia's dynamic packaging industry. So I'm Lindy Hewson, Managing Editor and Publisher, and today I'm joined by PKN's Associate Editor, Wayne Robinson, to take a closer look at the news that's been making headlines in March on the print and digital platform of PKN Packaging News. Thanks for joining me,
0: Wayne. It's good to be here, Lindy. This month, it's soft plastics recycling that's really been in the spotlight. PKN's been following the story with in-depth coverage. Since we last spoke in our February update, there have been some developments. Can you give us the latest update? Well, Wayne, it's
1: it's such a saga, an ongoing saga. So here's the whistle stop tour of the state of play at the moment. So in, for those people who may be listening and may have missed it, the red cycle collection scheme, which operated largely through collection points in supermarkets nationally, was suspended in November last year. Then major supermarket retailers Aldi, Coles and Woolworths formed a soft plastics task force with a mandate to develop an interim solution to restore community access to soft plastic recycling. Then after that, RedCycle was declared insolvent after agreeing that the task force could take over the management of the stockpiled soft plastic. So now, earlier this month, the soft plastics task force has announced the Roadmap to Restart, which is a plan to run a pilot soft plastics collection scheme in select stores that would support a recycling program by the end of the year. So under the plan... An initial in store collection pilot is anticipated to launch in late 2023, so at the end of the year. But this is provided that Red Cycle's existing soft plastic stockpile, so that's the 12,400 tons of soft plastic waste that had been stored in warehouses that the supermarkets have taken over from Red Cycle, can be cleared prior to that. So the new program would then be gradually rolled out nationwide next year.
0: As I understand it, the task force is unable to guarantee that enough domestic recycling capacity will exist by then to recycle the mixed polymer soft plastics. And, And now there's talk of plans to export the waste to a reputable recycler overseas. Do we know where it's going?
1: The short answer, I don't know where it's going. PKN at this point doesn't know where it's going. The exact destination or identity of this offshore recycler has not been revealed as far as I know. But you'd have to think that the task force, given the degree of public scrutiny that is now on this whole system, will be very discerning about where it goes, given given the situation. And we do know that in the US, which is where I would imagine it would be destined, um, that in the US, they've got a lot of capacity and um, facility to take some of this plastic. I'm not saying that that's where it's going, but uh, that's what, what inkling I might have a of it, um, we do know for sure that it can't be recycled here because the current infrastructure capacity is limited. Uh, we've had some plants incapacitated by fire and all of those matters still have to come on stream later in the year. So we know all of that through the red cycle collapse because part of that was part of the reason for the red cycle collapse.
0: So if we're short on recycling capacity, What will happen with plastics that get collected when the in-store collections restart?
1: Well, the task force says that it has plotted the reinstatement of the in-store collection of household soft plastics to match the projected gradual increase in Australian soft plastic recycling capacity over the next year. They've um, plotted it by anticipating what new recycling operators will possibly launch and the existing processes that do have stated plans to expand.
0: Okay, well, what has been the industry response to the plan, an industry that's been under attack, as you say, from uh, from mainstream media, certainly?
1: Well, in general terms, I would say that the, the response has been positive because everybody was painfully aware of this waste that was stored and was now posing a fire risk. They want to see the um, collection scheme get back underway. They want to have soft plastics recycled. We have to get on with recycling soft plastics. So to have... Big players like Woolworths and Coles getting behind it and saying, okay, we are going. We are prepared to invest here to get something done about this is really good news. And the fact that they would then collaborate with the supply chain to make things start to happen is really positive. So we've had responses from suppliers, so like Amcor, who are big players in manufacturing soft plastics. They've been outspokenly positive about it because they want to see a solution. Recyclers like Close the Loop, of course, have been positive because they are going to be able to take some, not all, some of the the plastic, plus they will be taking plastic from other sources, soft plastics. Um, From government, interestingly, Minister for Environment and Water, Tanya Plibersek, she acknowledges that the problem needs to be tackled with support from government as well, so knows that they have a role to play, but is very clear that it is the responsibility of the industry to step up. And she has also made it clear that government will legislate if it thinks it's necessary. The environmental lobby group, Boomerang Alliance, just to keep the balance here, has been quite outspoken that, this, that legislation is what should happen. And it says that the targets, as they are stated in the National Packaging Targets 2025, are completely unachievable without mandated action and that the public doesn't trust the industry to get it right. So, this is the challenge for the Australian Packaging Covenant Organization going forward, because APCO is the custodian of the national packaging targets. It's also the middleman, let's call it, between government and industry, um, appeasing government, saying industry is getting on with doing what we have so far been doing on a voluntary basis. But APCO CEO Chris Foley makes no bones about the fact that um, certainly you know, time has run out for industry to be sitting back and hoping things are just going to happen by themselves. We have to step up. Um, We need a sector-wide approach to create a comprehensive soft plastics recycling system and stewardship. He says it's critical that it's a robust, lasting, transparent solution.
0: Yeah, I actually heard Chris Foley speak at the um, Flexo uh, Packaging and Label Manufacturers Association Conference in Melbourne uh, during the month. And he said there that if industry doesn't step up, the results are likely to be punitive from government. He actually said it's game on. So the urgency and the necessity of the situation was clear from Chris Foley.
1: Yes, yeah, so I'll digress here a little bit quickly. APCO is soon to release its report uh, that updates the recycling rates vis-a-vis the targets. Now, there was a, an article published in Sydney Morning Herald earlier this week uh, that where someone had got hold of or the newspaper had apparently got hold of the the information prior to it being made public. Um, But essentially, the targets at the moment on projections are not going to be reached. But what that report is going to say is that it will show that current and planned investment will create capacity to recycle 60% of plastic packaging placed on the market. The actual target for 2025 is 70%. But 60%, gosh, well, that's a long way from the 16% where we're currently sitting. So the Australian Food and Grocery Council has also come out and said, um, first of all, they welcomed the task force's restart program. They represent the biggest end users of packaging, of course, all the food and grocery manufacturers, FMCG products. AFGC is very pleased because It is part of the National Plastics Recycling Scheme Initiative. In fact, it's a driver of it. And that NPRS scheme is trialing what is believed to be a potential national solution that will see soft plastics collected curbside and then processed via advanced chemical recycling. So not mechanical recycling. This is chemical recycling. It takes the plastic back into recycled oil. And in many instances, it's possible to make this food grade as well, as we proved with the KitKat trial, KitKat wrapper trial, Um, and then that's remade into plastic. So trials are currently underway for the curbside collection part of it in three states now, and there will be more on this as the project develops. So it seems to me that going forward when we'll be looking at a two-pronged approach, an in-store collection as well as a curbside collection. Although if we can get curbside going nationally, that's certainly going to be the most efficient way to gather this material.
0: Yeah, well, let's hope that the industry can come up with viable solutions, Lindy, because if government gets involved, uh, that can be difficult because they can base their decisions on area on, on facts, on data that isn't particularly relevant to government. I was in the U.S. recently at a big conference over there, and the head of the U.S. Flexo Association, Alison Keane, was gave a presentation on sustainability and flexible packaging. She was scathing about the U S government's involvement, uh, particularly there because there's, there's a federal government and then state governments, which are quite powerful. And she said that many of them just ultimately viewed it as a revenue, as a tax, as a revenue raising operation, and weren't really looking beyond into actual recycling. And she viewed their whole involvement in it as a disaster, probably going too, too far.
1: Yes. Yeah, so, if we have government involvement, that will change the game. I think for many players who have invested heavily in recycling, they would welcome some sort of mandated use of recycled content um, because other people are just riding on the coattails of all their investment. So, I uh, it will be interesting to see if there's at least some sort of legislation that comes through. Um, certainly in the UK, the example is being set. There's going to be a lot of legislation coming into play later in the year. So we'll have to watch the space, Wayne.
0: Well, there's been some other plastics news, uh, Lindy. A fire at Quenos. Uh What can you tell us about that?
1: Yeah, so that's kind of been a little bit under the radar, but there was a recent incident um, at the Quenos botany olefins facility, and this is now having repercussions down the supply chain for packaging manufacturers using polyethylene. Now, polyethylene, low-density polyethylene, widely used, for example, in products like cosmetic tubes, Um, and whereas Quenos was supplying our local manufacturers the likes of impact international and others um, it is now unable to do so so what happened was in late february a length of cooling water pipe failed at the quenhouse olefin plant no one was injured thankfully the plant was shut down very quickly safely in line with the company's pre-planned procedures fire and rescue was there police and new south wales epa were called to the site community was protected so In terms of procedure and safety, everything is fine. However, the facility has not resumed operation. And the people that I've spoken to, the manufacturers looking to get supply, have said there's been no word as to when it will do so. And the shutdown, understandably, is impacting the ability to service packaging converters with their regular volumes. And in some instances, as we understand it at PKN, polyethylene demand will need to be supplemented from overseas sources. So that's not ideal. We know what the uh, global raw material price fluctuations and, and how that puts us as local manufacturers here at, at some sort of jeopardy makes us more vulnerable. But again, it's a case of, well, let's wait and see if this plant is going to reopen, if when, we hope it's when, um, and certainly the local packaging converters are hoping so too.
0: Well, let's have some good news on plastics. Um, I hear there's been a breakthrough in pallet wrap, which is great news because in this country alone, we send more than 100,000 tons of stretch wrap to landfill each year, including cling wrap, catering wrap, silage wrap, pallet wrap. Um, pallet wrap, the connector of all businesses, is of course critical to the global supply chain. Every day, millions of pallets are wrapped to transport goods to their eventual consumer. Unfortunately, though, very few facilities can recycle petroleum-based pallet wrap, meaning more than ninety percent of the hundred thousand tons a year goes to landfill.
1: Yeah, Wayne, it's quite it's quite shocking when you read the when you look at those figures like that because we talk a lot about the soft plastics that we can, we can see visibly on the sh- on the retail. Shelf the KitKat wrapper, the pouch for my cereal—all those things that I can—I'm handling that. But behind the scenes, the industrial use of stretch wrap and all of that soft plastics—that's a big problem. So, what's exciting about this new development, which comes from Melbourne-based material science company Great Wrap? It's the world's first compostable pallet wrap manufactured using food waste. Okay, so it's taking two problems in one go. So the the wrap will be industrial compostable. I'm not sure about where it's been certified as such. So um, better not quote me on that. But I believe that that is in process. Now, multinational brand owners and large retail groups here and in the USA have already snapped up trial batches. I've spoken to the founders, um, Judy, Julia and Geordie Kay. They're super excited. The sky is the limit, it seems, when it comes to the level of demand for this wrap. Because imagine huge retailers are wanting to, who are trying to clean up their sustainability cred as well, are looking at this from both angles. And having something that is made from food waste, so that is solving that problem of food going into landfill, as well as having something that's compostable, it's really a great solution. So commercial trials are now completed, and the company is going to be producing this at its Tullamarine site, which has the, going to soon house the largest stretch wrap manufacturing facility in the country. The process that it's made by is called cast extruding, and it is currently running at 5,000 tons capacity. By the end of the year, the company will have reached 10,000 tons, and by 2025, 20,000 ton capacity. And the food waste that's used for the wrap comes from potatoes, and it's sourced from two of the country's biggest potato producers. And it is currently not being processed on site, but the good news is a great wrap is looking to build the biorefinery on site so that the whole solution happens all in the one place. And it is also looking at a scaling up an end-of-life collection service for the pallet wrap because you want to take all that wrap to the industrial composting site where um, once people have used it. So as you know, with all of these things, you can't close the loop unless you have a collection infrastructure as well in place. So yes, with huge interest from the U.S. market, they are seriously looking at setting up in uh, some sort of operation in the U.S. The lead time on the equipment is at least 12 months, though, so we're looking at end of 24 and beyond.
0: Well, it's good to end what's been an extensive uh, session and the uh, podcast on plastics on a good note and so that uh, human beings are capable of finding solutions. Um, we've heard a lot about plastics, as I've just said, the fiber-based packaging industry, Linda, you're seeing significant investment going on. What's the latest developments there? Yes.
1: Yeah, so, last month, we actually focused more on fiber in our, our news wrap. Um, and this month, the news comes from Opal. So, Opal Australia has given us an update on its new $140 million investment in a high-tech corrugated cardboard packaging facility, which is now very close to its equipment installation phase. It is on track for opening in October, which is really exciting. And once it is operational up and running, it will have the capacity to produce 400 tons of finished corrugated boxes daily. Now, this is primarily to service the massive growth in demand up the East Coast, especially from the fresh produce sector, but also from FMCG um, and other industrial sectors demanding cardboard packaging. The facility will use the craft and recycled packaging paper sourced from Opal's Maryvale Mill, which is in the Latrobe Valley, and its botany mill in Sydney. And this will produce, as I said, corrugated cardboard packaging um, and supplying a wide range of industries, also, the good news about this is it is going to create 400 jobs overall, direct and flow on down the supply chain. Well, that's about it, Wayne. We're going to wrap it up there. We've done the plastic, we've done the cardboard, and that's all we have time for for today. I do want to say though that there's going to be lots more news next month. I'm looking forward to that because in this coming week, at the time of recording, we're going to be having the announcement of the Packaging Innovation and Design Awards. We'll be taking the PKN Podcast. Uh, live to that. So Grant will be joining me there. And there we're going to see some of the latest innovations in packaging that saves food waste, in packaging for sustainability, a lot of fiber-based packaging development coming through there, and also good packaging with new barrier properties and so on. As I said, extending shelf life and, and just making the world a better place through packaging all in all. Well, that's all we have time for today. Thanks, Wayne, for joining me in wrapping up the big news stories for March in Australia's packaging industry. For a comprehensive overview of all the stories that we've covered and more, of course, you can head to packagingnews.com.au. So that's it from me, Lindy Hewson. That's from me, Wayne Robinson. And we're signing off for another month.
0: Well, thanks to you both. And of course, thanks to our audience for joining us today. Don't forget, if you've enjoyed what you've heard, you can like us on iTunes as this helps others discover our show. We'll be back in the not too distant future with another informative discussion. But until then, have a great day. The PKN Podcast is produced by Southern Skies Media on behalf of PKN Packaging News, owned and published by Yaffa Media. The views of the people featured on this podcast do not necessarily represent those of PKN Packaging News, Yaffa Media, or the guest's employer. The contents are copyright by Yaffa Media. If you wish to use any of this podcast audio, please contact us via the website or send an email to editor at packagingnews.com.au. You can subscribe to this podcast via your preferred platform and read all the latest news on Australia's packaging industry at packagingnews.com.au.
1: You've been listening to a Yaffa Media Podcast.
0: Southern Skies Media.